0: If you're not unlocking the full value of your SaaS, what are you doing? There is no denying it. SaaS is mission critical to your company's growth and success. And as the number two operating expense for most organizations, it's your biggest opportunity to save money and drive efficiency. The time is now to do something about it. Please take this as your personal invitation to join me and your fellow IT, Sam, finance, and procurement leaders at SASME on May 16th, 2023. SASME is the industry's only dedicated SaaS management event where you can sharpen your skills, hear from your peers, and learn how to unlock value and responsible business growth through smarter SaaS management. It's virtual, it's free, and it's going to knock your socks off. Register today at sasme.com. That's S A A S. M-E dot com. It's time to get your sassing gear. Are you with me? I walk
1: over to our on-premises SAM solution, a couple of keystrokes here and there. I extract all of the unique publishers that, that we have data for. I pass it off to the internal audit folks. And admittedly, in that moment, this is maybe 30 to 60 days into my job there, they responded almost immediately and said, where is Box? Where is AHA? Where is Sprinkler? Where is Airtable? What are those? That's what I was asking myself.
2: Hello, hello, and welcome to SassMe Unfiltered, the SaaS Management Podcast, the show with give-it-to-you-straight, real-life advice from pros knee-deep in SaaS every single day. SaaS management superheroes just like you.
3: Today, we're back for another episode of SaaS unfiltered Unfiltered. So excited to have everyone join us. I'm Ashley Hickman, Manager of Customer Success at Zylo.
2: And I'm Corey Wheeler, Co-Founder and Chief Customer Officer at Zylo.
3: So today we're mixing it up a little bit. We have a wonderful guest who is passionate about helping enterprises organize, optimize, and orchestrate their SaaS. Actually, he does this here at Silo. Before joining Silo, he was in software asset management consulting and then built the global software asset management function at Nike, owning the transformation of nearly 13,000 unique software applications across more than 1,200 suppliers, achieving cost savings of more than $45 million in three years. He also is a huge sports fan, has a metaphor for literally every business outcome imaginable. Always fun chatting with this individual. So welcome, Lance Giles.
1: Thanks for having me,
3: guys. So, Lance, thank you so much. You are Zylo's own SaaS evangelist. So, very excited to bring you into the podcast. This has been a long time coming. So, really excited to dig into a wealth of topics today. So, you've had a tremendous career and experience in SAM that ultimately really involved into a lot of SaaS management, right? As SAM really grew from on prem to the cloud, you've seen this this big shift this evolution over the past decade plus of your career. So this is something that I would love for us to talk a, bit, a little bit about today. Some of the major shifts that you've seen in software asset management, any insights, et cetera, really that evolution you've seen across the space.
1: There's quite a few shifts, really, but always start with the base fundamentals of any software license management function. I confidently believe it will be this way for the remainder of time, and that is, Use what you pay for and pay for what you use. That is always the bedrock of any successful SAM function. Now, as we start to differentiate uh, pure play, I'll call it pure play, on-premises software asset management relative to SaaS, how we get there, how we start to understand and amalgamate some of this metadata, yes, it's a little bit different, but the fundamentals are just to ensure we pay for and we pay for what we use. So an example of that is discovery, right? When we talk about on-premises software license management, typically we're talking about what is locally installed on company-owned or leased devices. You know, what's the, the name of the product? Version, edition, maybe the operating environment. Is it a physical machine, virtual machine? What types of CPUs, the physical host What clusters is it in? So on and so forth. So you spend the overwhelming majority of your time understanding what is deployed and what is out there. You shift over to SaaS and the starting point is understanding what you've spent money on. In other words, the starting point is probably the biggest shift in how you manage SaaS relative to on-premises software asset management. Is that because you've really
2: got to set your priorities and spend drives prioritization or what's that spend
1: component consist of? To scan an environment, this is the way uh, software license management used to be. In order to even find the target applications that you are to manage and to keep an eye on, in order to just to define them, you have to dig into the spend. You have to dig into the the raw metadata related to where the money is going. And that can be very challenging. Because if you go back a decade or so, there really were not as many applications then to access as there are now. Translated, we've got in excess of 20 plus thousand commercially licensable SaaS applications available. So just the breadth and depth of what is available, that has really changed how we even begin the process of understanding what to manage, how to manage it, how to measure it, and ultimately if there are some remediation steps required to execute on those.
2: I like how you frame that out. Your role in the Sam industry being in consulting, really understanding the shifts in the typical organization is very cool. You know, your story then continues where you built and ran Sam at Nike, a global program. So I want to understand a little bit more about that. You know, it's one of the most one of the largest, one of the most well-known enterprises in the world. So you know, typically on these sessions, we'll ask, what was the oh shit moment? What was the compelling event for you or for Nike before you were there that really drove the creation
1: of software asset management as a function? It was a perfect confluence of events. So I thought at the time, and this is about four years ago, give or take, is there was a very public, very visible external software publisher audit that you can Google it today. And that it existed roughly eight to 10 months before I started at Nike. And I illustrate that because in terms of my confidence that this was the right place for me and the right opportunity for me, responding to and developing game plans to respond to publisher audits, that's something I was a very comfortable lane for me to be in, very comfortable. So my point is, is that as I was driving here and relocating from the Seattle area to the Portland area, perfect sunny day, me and my dog and a plant and a printer and a printer, and off we go relocating so my my attitude it couldn't have been better this is a golden opportunity and these are opportunities you really they're hard to find right they're very hard to find with literally greenfield to start and cultivate an asset management function i felt as though i'd prepared myself for this moment for an extended period of time and here it was now right That's right. Let's do it. This is good, right? This is, we all want to build and grow our our skill sets to that point where when we get that at bat, we can make the most of it. But to address the specific, oh shit moment, if you will, is internally at Nike, because there was this highly visible audit, the internal audit folks wanted to know every software publisher that Nike did business with. My guess is that they just want to make sure that something like this does not happen again. So I did what any aspiring SAM professional does. I walk over to our on-premises SAM solution, a couple of keystrokes here and there. I extract all of the unique publishers that, that we have data for. I pass it off to the internal audit folks. And admittedly, in that moment, this is maybe 30 to 60 days into my job there, they responded almost immediately and said, Where is Box? Where is AHA? Where is Sprinkler? Where is Airtable? What are those? That's what I was asking myself. Again, I thought this was the perfect opportunity and it was, but that was a curveball that happened almost immediately. And as I'm keying in into our asset management solution, nothing is coming up. There's no entitlement. There's no consumption. And so that was now what? I was paid to have answers. I thought that I had them and I didn't. So admittedly, a little bit of self-doubt started to creep in. Is if I don't know about those applications that they had asked about, how many more were there? You had two compelling events, two oh shit moments, we'll call it. Uh,
2: but the outcome of that external audit, the very first compelling event that you had, would you say that something to that magnitude, did that allow you the freedom and the confidence to be able to implement quickly and effectively at Nike? And then
1: also allow you to act quickly when you found that there was a SaaS issue as well? Yes, so you want visibility internally. Oftentimes, setting up an asset management function, it's not, not so much about just the data and getting your hands on data and utilization and consumption and license assignment. What you really need is visibility and support from leadership. And we had that. Now, granted, it was very, very likely because of this this external publisher audit. But the point here is that all eyes were on us. Back to that at bat again. This was a golden opportunity because it was so visible. Now, with that came quite a bit of pressure. They they were not internal audit folks. We're not asking for resolutions. You're here to resolve not only these, this external audit, singular, but also to understand what I now, now know comfortably is managing SaaS and how that transpires, but a quick anecdote related to the, that external publisher audit that existed before I got there. What typically happens is in the industry, once an external audit becomes public, there are other publishers that think to themselves, well, if, if that organization is using more than they've paid for, we're going to check in on them too.
2: Yeah. And
1: so all told for six to nine months there, we had eight unique external audits. So when you have the expectations of our internal our internal audit folks, and then you compound that with all these external forces to respond to them, I'm going to say it was a golden opportunity, but I'd be lying if I said it wasn't uh, stressful.
3: Absolutely. That's when it rains, it pours, really. Yeah. So Lance, with all of that 30 days in, where do you start with something like that, right? Where you're searching these applications like in your existing system, like, nope, don't see our table. Don't see some of these that we know are SaaS products. So, and then of course, a plethora of audits. So where did you, what were those building blocks, those tools that you used, um, those processes, et cetera? Like, where did you start to ultimately build out that program, respond to those audits and get the visibility you needed?
1: I started to rule things out. In other words, if within our existing on-premises solution, if I could not understand what was installed or deployed in terms of SaaS, because there's nothing locally installed, I shifted over to follow the money. When in doubt, follow the money. So what I'd done is started to cultivate and develop relationships with uh, folks in finance and procurement and started to look deeper under, under the covers to see what is Nike spending money on and to what extent and what's kind of the general flow of where is the money going? So to address the question, all the money, that's really the only place I could think of to go. There was a lot of uh, Google searching and a lot of phone calls to industry contacts and really just trying to get my arms around what to do. But again, fundamentally, content is king in a software asset management realm, and it can come in many forms. But to answer your question succinctly, follow the money and the spend. So I really started to outline the business case internally as to why I needed access to this content and why Nike needed access to it. And it did help to have so much visibility on our function internally that we're getting access to that content. That was step one, phase one, is just to understand the dimensions of that data.
3: Are you blown away by the amazing work our SaaS and Unfiltered guests are doing? Now you can join them at SASME, the industry's only SaaS management event. Hear from the experts, discover trends, and learn from the pros knee deep in this shit every single day. Register today at sasme.com. That's dot com.
2: I want to hit on data here in a moment, but I kind of want to talk a little bit about that landscape when you came in at Nike. Huge organization. Over 50,000 employees. SaaS in in and of itself is a very distributed category. Everybody is a buyer. Departments, teams, individuals, orgs. I mean, anything you can imagine, it's everywhere. And that's usually a lot of the value that our customers see when they implement. There are way too many titles internally, double the, triple the amount that they thought were there. So... Internally at Nike, there were also additional processes going on throughout the business that seemed like they were SaaS management processes as well. What was happening internally when you started looking at SaaS? What did you find around the organization? And how the heck (laughs) did you start to put a strategy around
1: such a distributed category in such a large enterprise? So every playbook, runbook, every guide that has ever been authored around the topic of software asset management or ITAM or ITIL, all of them, 100% of them, either number one or number two on the list of priorities was centralized. That's what I had been conditioned to learn over the you know the previous, whatever it was, 10, 15 years. Centralize, bring all the data together, bring the decision-making together. What I quickly learned is that SAS just simply doesn't function that way. So that push and pull in that balance of, what does it make sense to centralize? And what does it make sense to leave to the business to own? That was the biggest challenge that I had, just trying to understand centralization. It's very easy for me to say that. And I can speak the virtues of why it makes sense to centralize. Just the way products are delivered nowadays, it just isn't pragmatic. So understanding that push and pull, that, that was extraordinarily challenging. And like I said... I didn't know any better, right? I didn't know any better. It's centralization. That's key. If I knew then what I know now, I certainly wouldn't have leaned in so heavily on ensuring that everything was centralized.
3: How did you do it, Lance? <laughs> you had, you know, follow the money. Love that. And I'm sure that's where you uncovered a lot that you didn't know about. And then also to your point earlier, kind of that evolution that you've that, you, that you've seen, it's just different. Right. Yeah. It's different. You have to shift. You have to pivot mm-hmm. using those sports analogies where it can. Um, so <laughs> you're
2: hitting it, it out of the park. Actually. There we go. I played you. basketball
3: on. like one time. Pivot, pivot. So what did you do next? Right. You followed the money, your playbook. It's yeah. officially out of date. Right. Centralization. That's not going to happen. Right. So from there, and you mentioned it was a big struggle. What's mm-hmm. next?
1: You bring people together. When you think of centralization, I think we can reasonably extrapolate what that means. But when you're working in more of a, a decentralized organization or environment, that is the golden opportunity for any software asset management function to where effectively what we started to do is, is one, we just started to socialize content through varying business groups. And this wasn't damning content, right? It was just, if we have 35 project management tools, I just want to educate the masses on how many we have in an effort to come together and say, do we really need this many? So it was less about taking action on data, but more importantly, it's bring people in disparate groups together. And what that also does at a byproduct of that is it helps to keep your program relevant. So oftentimes what happens is an ITAM or a SAM function, it lives within IT, just typically exceptions exist, certainly, but now. Everybody, and Corey, you already alluded to this, that it's very easy to purchase technology nowadays. It's a swipe of a corporate credit card. My point in mentioning that is that everybody in the company was a software asset manager. So we just had more, more groups and more individuals to connect with, uh, cobbling together some steering committees, and just let the great people, let them work together. So you bring them together and understand why we're here. We ultimately just want to do what makes the most sense for our employer. And so it became a bit of a, a matchmaker is really what we did. Yeah, that's a good way to think about it. So on that
2: centralization concept, you know, if I'd have known then what I know now, you mentioned that you, know, you were in consulting, uh, you worked for a very large SAM consultancy, you've been in SAM roles. So what are some of... This is a two-part question. What are some of the classic missteps that you've seen in rolling out a SAM strategy? Centralization made us really kind of think of this. Uh, And then what were the lessons you learned as you built a global organization at Nike? Maybe they're the same things. Maybe they're different, but I'd love to hear your thoughts about the space
1: and then specifically what you experienced. If I had a nickel for every time I heard from individuals inside Nike, but also the organizations that I'd consulted for, it's, we do a good job. We know what we have. We are fine. So what I'm referencing there is assuming that you have a handle on everything now, I'm not here to suggest that somebody doesn't, but what I am here to suggest is that we want to put irrefutable, quantifiable fact to paper and then make decisions based on those facts. So some of the classic missteps were perhaps challenging certain what I'll call application owners and challenging them to let me and my team run and, and operate and, and manage it. it really would have taken a bit more of a, a delicate approach. But again, if I could do it over again, I would just want to say that we want to put irrefutable, quantifiable fact to paper. And oftentimes what will happen is, especially with SaaS, is it's very easy to overspend. It's very easy to buy 100 widgets and maybe use 40 of them. It's very easy to do. So I just wanted to highlight the opportunity to achieve cost savings or just honestly, just do what makes the most sense for our employer and not guess at what we're doing. Well, we need 100, we're growing, so let's just add another 200 next year and so on and so forth. Let's let the data tell us what we want to predict.
2: I like that. What's old is new. As we talk about pitfalls and challenges, talk to me about, we've had this conversation offline a few times, the shift and the evolution of software, You know, massive tectonic shift when SaaS came, subscription-based models, cloud-based models that yeah. really shifted the old licensing model, into a user-based pay-as-you-go, you-always-know-your-utilization, kind of ding-dong, the the death of software asset management. Like We don't need to manage everything if there's an admin console that tells us where our licenses are. So let's continue to fast forward. What we're seeing now, a huge emerging trend, is the shift from user-based to consumption-based or value-based models, in which you genuinely have to monitor and meter uh, what's going on, how you're leveraging that software. And if you don't, you get yourself into a very, very dangerous scenario. We had a customer uh, with a popular platform go from $2,000 in expense spend to nearly just under a million dollars in spend in 2 years with a platform because it was attached to their product and monitoring their product and providing details back about what they were doing inside their product. I ramble on this long diatribe to just get your thoughts of, are we back to 20 years ago where... You know, 20 years ago, you were managing user and server-based licenses and installs and all the different variables of software. And now we're getting back to the same principles because software has shifted that you have to pay attention to it or else it can get
1: dangerously out of control. My instinctive reaction to this topic is we have to look at the software publishers, understand what drives them, right? They're clearly for-profit businesses. They're trying to monetize their intellectual property. So if we go back 10, 15 years and understand that the rules, if you will, product use rights and user license agreements, the rules have always slightly shifted. They've always slightly shifted. As soon as you feel like you have a handle on how to measure certain applications or suites of applications, there's a subtle shift or the way products are bundled or how they're delivered. So all told, you have to pay attention some level or have people around you that are just paying attention reasonably as to what is happening in the market. So the software publishers will always shift. They will always ebb and flow. And like I said, do what makes the most most sense for them and their bottom line. So I highly encourage folks to always keep your eye on them and do not assume that if something is licensed by user today, there is no guarantee that it's going to be licensed by user tomorrow or perhaps the definition of user is going to change. Something is going to shift. They really never stay static.
3: To kind of forward thinking, to Corey's point, we're seeing a lot of SaaS products shift, right? If it was consumption-based, they're adding Mm -hmm. a user component. If it was Mm user-based, they're adding a consumption component or just or switching entirely. So for the SAM professional, what do you see the future of that kind of evolving into?
1: And we kind of talked about this earlier, where the function sits inside of an organization is it's vital. Now with SaaS and with cloud, we're really having conversations of Cost. That's really where the the focus is. And so I mentioned that because finance, I think, and I see the future of software license management ultimately being a part of finance. And it has to be global finance. In other words, being sequestered into a specific group that doesn't oversee an entire organization, that's going to make success very challenging for a software asset management function being an extension of finance, that's where I ultimately see the best fit for it. But I will say that the opportunity in the software license management space today, it's never been greater. It's never been more encouraging. I've never been more excited about it because I see the software license management function truly being the center of that Venn diagram, whereby we're connecting to legal and human resources and supply chain. And I really see software license management moving from an IT function to the center so that we can impact more people. And like I mentioned, the relationship side of the ledger, I think visibility is going to explode for software license management functions. It's the same
2: concept that I... Because of my procurement background that I shout from the mountaintops. When something is fully distributed, the centralized teams are the ones that must stand up, that must take on that strategy and really raise their profile. So... I think the shift of software, as opposed to being the demise of SAM, is really the accelerator of SAM. And you just hit it beautifully yes. by you know, being the center of the organization, truly being that shared service that that your businesses are your
1: customer and bringing that intelligence and action to them. I, I think that's a wonderful way to put it. And I've talked with a few colleagues in the industry. It's I'm also encouraged as to how many ITAM professionals exist just overall, just this industry. It's... It makes my day thinking about it. Where it was just an acronym, SAM, back in the early the early two thousands. Now to see all of these communities and partners and tool vendors, it's encouraging. We're here to stay. You know the ITAM function or SAM functions. We're here to stay. It's just we've got to be prepared to evolve and adapt. And look no further if we go back to the publishers and some of their motives. That you're starting to see them. I wouldn't say force but let's just say heavily encourage you to put your data into their cloud environments. So from Perpetual to their cloud, as that continues to shift and evolve, the opportunity is solely on the cloud and the SaaS side with the understanding that there will always be a need for on-premises software asset management. There will be. That's just, certainly we have to pay attention to that as well. But as the spend continues to become the rule the cloud and SaaS spend tends to become the rule now. And on-premises spend tends to... It's starting to slowly become the exception, if you will.
2: You're absolutely right. At Zylo, you know, we're six years old. Six years ago when we began the space, you know, there were a lot of progressive software tech-type companies that were fully in the cloud. So it made so much sense. SaaS management, we didn't have to explain what it was to them. The large enterprises, they said, yeah, we have SaaS, but really all of our core infrastructure, our core application base, it's all here. We got the server room, got a great group of folks that that manage all of that. And now, fast forward to 2022, these huge enterprises, SaaS management is their next large priority. So it's been fun to watch this all come together. So Lance, it's time for... The world famous rapid fire word association segment on Sass Me Unfiltered. Uh, we are gonna throw out a few high-level concepts. You give us your genuine response back on what we throw out there, okay? You ready?
1: I can do that. Right. Sam. The future. Okay. Zyllo, Rocket ship. I
2: Thanks. like
3: it.
1: All right. Let's sh- shift to
2: some passion here, Lance. Greatest team ever. This yes, is tough. Probably, probably
1: ninety-five. 95, 96 Chicago Bulls would be to win 72 wow. games in a season and cash in the, the championship. I, that's going to be tough to beat.
2: I mean, yeah, unless you were the 1972 Miami Dolphins, but you know, that's a different discussion for a different day. <laughs> <laughs>
3: okay. Greatest athlete ever.
2: Tiger Woods. Ah, very nice. Fantastic. Lance, this has been so much fun getting us all together, talking about the future of our industry, the future of what you've spent a career putting together as well. We're lucky to have you on board to share your story. We're lucky to have you on board as a colleague here at Zylo. So thanks so much for joining us on SasME Unfiltered today.
1: Thank you guys very much. I'm uh, grateful and humbled and uh, it's exciting to call you teammates now.
2: Did you enjoy the episode? Pass it along to your friends. Subscribe to get notifications for the latest episode. Share your favorite takeaways and join the conversation on social media using hashtag SassMeUnfiltered.